Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's time for another film study. It's been a while since we've done one of these, but it's time for the defensive breakdown. Kemi Kuzik, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. This, uh, we'll have a lot to talk about this game. 
which I didn't think we would before this game. Yeah, it's been so it's been ten days for starters, but yeah, it's 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 been a long break here. Uh, not one that I was, uh, you know, it wasn't a happy break for us with all the continual snowballing of bad news. But it is what it is. It's it's fine. We got through that game. We got a, it's a lot to look forward to. Uh, joining us this week is Vass from WBAL and the Extra Point Podcast. And Vass, I didn't write down your last name, and I'll screw it up if I didn't write it down. <laughs> Hey, don't worry. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person in you know in sports media with that name right now, except for my guy at over at Baltimore Beatdown. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's only two of us, so it's going to be it one is. of us, right? So, uh, but no, thank you guys for having me on. I'm, it's, I'm really glad to be here. And you're Vas Nicolau, or do you go by Vasilios? Nicolau. Oh, I go by Vasilios, but uh, that's my last name is Nicolau, and you got it right. There you go, Josh. Take some notes, man. Hey, why do you think I go with first name and even shorten the first name just to get <laughs> nice and simple? Um, all right, so let's get into the weirdness first. Yeah, oddball game, obviously. Uh, first of all, a Wednesday football game. And I don't know if people know this, but there was a Wednesday opener instead of a Thursday opener in 2012, which I think sticks in the craw of a lot of Ravens fans when the 2013 opener was not in Baltimore. Right, Voss? Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember the the twenty thirteen opener not being in Baltimore because of a scheduling conflict. I believe the Orioles were playing that night, and so the NFL felt obligated to move to Denver for that opener. And then it was it was all curtains after that because we all know what happened in Denver. Yeah, whole whole lot of ugly certainly in that game, and it would have been a different opponent in Baltimore. But uh, the point I was making was that's the last Wednesday game in the NFL. Before that, you have to go back to 1948. In fact, September 29th of 1948 was the last NFL game played on a Wednesday. Otherwise, 72 years, Ken. That's it's a it's wild, and it's 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 one of those things that you're you're watching history. You saw history when you were watching that that game last night and it might not have felt like it because you're watching a lot of guys who you didn't know who, who they were on the, on this Ravens team. They were playing replacement to a lot of the guys that are on the COVID list, et cetera. And it was, but we were watching history and it was a very cool thing to watch, especially with how close the game ended up being. Yeah. Good. Definitely good that it ended up being a close game, but you know, it reminded me a lot of a preseason game in a lot of the ways. And you think through the, the things that make this a preseason game. Most of the snaps went to the second string QB. Checkbox. He was relieved late, in the, late by the third string QB who tried to make this comeback. And we remember 1998 Stoney Case having a couple of great comeback games as the third string quarterback for the Ravens. We had the ugly, turnover-flavored offense through the whole game. And, and I think just sputtering offense is something I often associate, frankly, with Ravens opponents more than the Ravens themselves in the preseason. We had some officiating, I think, in the game that had it been the preseason, would be, we would be saying it's also the preseason for officials. That would be the tagline that would have gone on with the non-delay of game call and the piling up at the end of the half that, that cost the Ravens a touchdown, quite possibly. And then the Ravens ended up flexing their defensive depth with some names that we haven't heard, and we're going to talk about in just a minute, but that are also headed back to the practice squad. So very much a preseason-like atmosphere. 
All right. And another say, but they don't call him the best guest in the business for nothing. <laughs> I remember that Euchre did that in, in Major League anyway. So uh, the three players who I want to talk about in defense just, just right now are Aaron, and I'm going to try and get this name right, Ade Oye, who came in and played outside linebacker for seven snaps. He actually had a great play on the first third down where he dropped the coverage bumped Deontay Johnson way off his route, looked like he might have been the primary, uh, took him out of the play. Roethlisberger instead was forced to unload under pressure for the drive-ending pass that went at the feet of Ebron. And Humphrey immediately, which really struck me, ran up to <laughs> number 51 and congratulated him right there, you know, saying great play uh, on that. And he asked to drop back on his first NFL snap uh, on a third down play, which is, that is so Martindale. I can't. I can't even remember seeing fifty-one on the field last night. I, I, I think I remember the play you you're referring to, but I never thought to myself or talked to my colleague Pete Gilbert here in the sports office and said, "Hey, who's number 51? I, I, I think I might have been logging a play at the time so we can get it on TV later in the night, and I might I might have just might have just went right over my head. So, um, but it's it's. It is good that these young guys are getting time, like like Adeoye and and McSorley and all these guys that we're going to end up talking about the show. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's interesting. So so we're staying on the defensive side here. Defensive tackle Aaron Crawford logged 18 snaps. He had a pressure uh, back to, back to center straight up. It was also a replacement for Pouncey, of course, at the last moment. So there's a lot of second string action going on here. But Aaron Crawford, I thought, played pretty well. He was an important component on the defensive line and my understanding is that that at some point Broderick Washington had a concussion in the game and I was kind of wondering while I was logging the the players by play why he was no longer showing up in any of the rotational snaps but that was apparently it yeah Crawford Crawford was that guy that I felt like you could plug and play and he would he would do his job not make any noise whatsoever but he'd be that guy that can go out there and be that stopgap D tackle, no pun intended. And he he played the game well. I didn't hear his name a lot, which can be a good thing, can be a bad thing if you're hearing his name a lot. And like like the the Ravens got out of it, and they only allowed uh, 68 rushing yards, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say he went out there and he did a pretty damn good job for for what he was asked to do. Yeah, the Ravens definitely did not get leaned on by the Steelers. The Steelers stayed with what won for them last time, which is a spread offense. But just talking to talk about Crawford again, one of the things that kind of pissed me off about what happened is Crawford went in, and when he was in the game with Justin Ellis, he played nose tackle. And Ellis moved over to a three-tech. Now, here's why this makes me angry. The last couple of weeks against teams that could run the football and we're planning to run the football the whole time, namely New England, doesn't have much of a passing game. Tennessee, much more effective running game and leaned on the Ravens pretty heavily, frankly, as they wore down during the game. They didn't activate Crawford as a fifth offensive lineman, and they only had one guy who could play nose tackle, and that was Ellis. So it kind of is frustrating to me that players like Des Bryant are getting activated over Aaron Crawford these last couple of weeks. Does not Did not make a lot of sense to me and this was this was I think I, I think after seeing Crawford play this game and seeing him play pretty well, I'm I'm fairly upset about that happening. I think I think that's you have you have a huge point there. After seeing what Crawford was able to do, I'm 
I'm surprised he's not been out there more. And I feel like the Ravens won't let that mistake happen again. So they'll probably have him active, especially if if maybe this coming week or the following week that Calais Campbell and, and Brandon Williams are still not able to go. Uh, you need as much depth on a defensive line as, as possible. And we've seen the Ravens are not so great with uh, their rush defense this year with those two very large, very strong gentlemen not in the starting rotation. So, uh, I mean, I, I definitely think Crawford's going to see a lot more play time. And if he doesn't, I that's that's a little bit of I'd say it's a little bit of a crime, honestly. Yeah, I think I think he'll be in there next week. There's a there's a chance. One chance is that Broderick Washington isn't available because of the concussion. If not, I think Crawford's almost certain to play. Brandon Williams uh, can't go. I still think they should have him active just because I think they need a backup nose to Ellis. Ellis can't really play every single snap, and they've been asking him to do that the last couple of weeks, and he's been wearing down from the overwork. Uh, not so much in this game as they did in Tennessee and New England. They really asked him to play a, a, over 50 snaps in each of those games. That shouldn't really be happening. Uh, and then the last guy who played was Chauncey Rivers, 14 snaps. The, the Ravens played well while he was on the field, and he did a little bit of that inside-outside role from the outside linebacker spot. He lined up on a three-point stance on passing downs, and he also lined up as a standing OLB on other downs, something the Ravens kind of demand of really just about all their outside linebackers that they can they can line up inside or outside. Yeah, Chauncey Rivers, I remember seeing him twice on plays, and I, I, think, I think there was once where he had a pressure on Ben Roethlisberger, and I could be wrong, but uh, we we were talking about it here in the office, and we were just like, "Who in the hell is number ninety seven? Because again, it was it was one of those nights where where you find you find yourself a previous week so familiar with the team, and then you have this influx of of guys that came came up from the practice squad, and you don't know who any of them are. So Chauncey Rivers, he much like Aaron Crawford went out there, did what was asked of him, didn't make a fool of himself, and kind of set himself up nicely for some more pra- some more practice reps and some more maybe live game reps for the Ravens in the near future. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting crew of three here, and there's a fortunate and unfortunate thing. It's obviously it's nice to see these players play, but by having them play a game this year, this starts the clock on their NFL careers. And from the Ravens' perspective, that means – a year towards free agency has been lost, even if this is the only game they play in 2020. That's a pretty significant element to lose if any of these guys ends up being something. To my way of thinking, just looking at these guys, I think Crawford would be the biggest chance to be kind of a late developing nose tackle who could be in the NFL for six years or something. And the Ravens might really have lost something to lose a year of his career early to free agency. So, Obviously, we're 12 games into the season now, and guys have gotten a lot of work, but they still haven't had any of that time with the preseason, with training camp. So, a lot of this first action, a lot of these guys are seeing. Yeah. Normally, we get to see a lot of these guys in the preseason, and we get to learn their names. So, but now, like you said, the clock has started on their NFL careers, and uh, they can find themselves somewhere else very, very soon. And if, they, if they're going back to the practice squad and other teams are like, hey, that guy did pretty well in that game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Maybe we can bring him on for depth right now if we have an open spot. So, I mean, you, you're right. I mean, guys like Crawford and, and Chauncey Rivers, they're, they're not necessarily safe on the Ravens practice squad right now. 
Yeah, abs- absolutely true. So uh, uh, anyway, a little bit of a preseason feel to this game. Uh, we'll get back to regular football. No doubt these guys are mostly going down. Crawford is the one exception who, if Broderick Washington were to go on IR for a couple of weeks, might be staying up. But uh, anyway, uh, Josh, we have a reader right now. Yeah, it's a great time to tell everyone about my bookie. Uh, If you missed out on all the Thanksgiving, Cyber Monday, all the free plays last week, then what are you doing? You missed out on some great deals, but don't worry. There's always deals over my bookie where they constantly are boosting the odds, have lightning deals and free bets all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who who teams are by now and we know what they're capable of, of. So it's not difficult to find some value in these lines. So go on over to my bookie and use the code Ravens and get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to a thousand bucks. The terms are simple. You put in two hundred dollars, they match you with another hundred dollars in your account. If you're already planning to bet this season, this is free bet money. Plus, you might not know they also boast a fully fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table slot and card games you expect at your local spot. And the best part is that my bookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. It's winning season at my bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Use the code Ravens for that matching deal. Biggest thing that comes to mind right away is the the Ravens playoff situation, and and I, I'm kind of have a Mora esque response to that right now. Is that you know playoffs? Are you kidding me? Kind of thing. This is a team that. <laughs> you know, very much needs to get healthy, needs to show not only that they can move their players, migrate their players off the COVID list and back to active status, which they had an opportunity to do with Dobbins and Ingram this game and did not, Uh, but also that they don't have any lingering after effects, whether atrophy, which, you know, weightlifters will tell you 48 hours and you start to atrophy. That's why, you know, players lift just constantly. Other people, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, have, have questioned what are the long-term impacts of COVID. We certainly hope, you know, there are none for these young men who are, who are getting it. But, uh, you know, they need to know that there's not some lingering musculoskeletal um, malaise that comes with this that, uh, uh, that would be bad. If you looked at the Ravens injury report, it is lengthy today. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I, I, I saw it and, I'm just like, wow, okay, this is a novel. It's going to take me at least four nights to finish reading what this <laughs> list says right here. But it's 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 not pretty. And, I mean, it, I, hope, I hope that when they release another one that it's not nearly as lengthy and this is just uh, some maintenance-type stuff right now. Some, maybe some guys are feeling a little bit sore today, but they might not, not necessarily feel so sore come monday let's let's hope so i'm going to read it off real quickly chuck clark knee and this is all by the way they didn't practice on thursday though they normally would of course but they didn't because a they have a tuesday game so i assume they'll practice friday saturday sunday for the three days um but also they uh they just had a game yesterday so that would you know, increase the number of people that they would project as non-participants. So let's go through it real quickly. Chuck Clark, a knee DNP. Deshaun Elliott, a knee ankle DNP. Here's the one I'm worried about. Jalen Ferguson, illness DNP. We don't know, obviously, 
but hopefully that's not a test result of any sort, but uh, right. that's the way they have it. Uh, Robert Griffin, thigh, DNP. Uh, Jimmy Smith, groin, DNP. We're concerned about that one, of course. Broderick Washington, the concussion. Brandon Williams, ankle, DNP. Tremont Williams, thigh, DNP. DJ Fluker, ankle. Of course, DJ Fluker, back spasms was something they talked about before the game, limited participation. Devontae Harris, who played quite well, limited participation with a thigh. And Christian Welch, ankle, limited participation. That is one hell of a list coming off what was still a physical game against the Steelers. Yeah, that, that second, I just look at this, and the first thing you think is that secondary is decimated. And we knew it going into this game that they were already going to be shorthanded, but seeing now Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott, both starting safeties on this injury list, it makes you really worry because, I mean, and Jimmy Jimmy Smith is on, on here as well, and then Devonta Harris, like you mentioned, who played very well, and he looked like he was shot out of a cannon early on in the in the game when he forced the fumble from Ray Ray, Ray McLeod and Anthony Levine scooped that ball up, but it's it's the secondary was was thought to be one of the best in the league going into the season, and as the injuries have piled up. The Ravens uh, looking at it more so as a liability now. And Marlon Humphrey is so good, but Marlon Humphrey can only take you so far by himself without some assistance behind him because he's a physical corner, and so is Marcus Peters. And they're both not perfect. They can both get beat over the top because Mm -hmm. they play so close to the line a lot of the time. But it's that's uh, that's the one thing that I look at and it worries me the most. I'm not, of course, Ferguson could be could have. COVID-19 we don't know until what until the Ravens make something public Robert Griffin the third I'm not too worried about his hammy right now I, I think what we saw from Trace McSorley was was good enough to be a QB2 at least in relief for RG3 but I mean yeah like like I said it's, it's the secondary is the main focus right now all right well I I would I'm I doubt that either of those safeties are not going to play based on the fact they both finished the game. But if either yeah. did not go, the Ravens have no backup at safety, none nope. at all. I don't even know what they would do on the back end. I guess Geno Stone would get a chance, but it's uh it's one of these things. And he just got added to the COVID list, so he might not even be able, eligible to play on Dallas mm-hmm. for Dallas. The team has already been struggling without a third safety all year. But anyway, to, to if they if they have any more secondary issues, there would be a problem. We've seen this movie before in Baltimore, particularly with the cornerbacks and losing corner after corner after corner. If you go back to 2007, the secondary of dying men, as I call it, where, where they just had injury after injury, ended up with Willie Gaston signed off the street to play corner and start a game against Cincinnati. Um, it's just, it can get very, very bad. In truth, the Ravens have probably been better off than most teams because their top guys have all mostly remained healthy. Not Tavon Young. Okay, and we did miss a game with Humphrey to COVID, but Elliott and Clark have been there every game. And frankly, I I haven't heard Earl Thomas's name mentioned since about week one in terms of missing a safety. You know, who is he? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking, too. Like, God forbid one of these safeties doesn't play. And and you're probably right. If Geno Stone was just moved to the COVID list. So do we see Anthony Levine? out playing safety and do we see i don't you you don't know who they're gonna trot out there if they're gonna have to right. throw out a wide receiver at safety but it's gonna be right it's gonna i mean be it, wild it could literally be chris board who moves to strong safety and they and they use whichever one of the two can go as a consistent single high exactly. even that that'd be that would be that would not be good they'd have to figure right. out somebody they've got some guys on the practice squad who are really mostly corners but nigel warrior is sitting there I don't know what the problem is because he hasn't gotten an opportunity with a lot of opportunities 
to come up and play dime back. So there must be some other problem in, in terms of, of practice habits or whatever. He doesn't he wasn't activated for this game when they really could have used him too and they had Rome. Yeah, I don't know much about Nigel Warrior, but I've seen a lot of folks raving about him and his athleticism. And the fact that the Ravens haven't given him an opportunity yet kind of it, it speaks volumes in and, in and of itself. So unless something changes or something drastic happens, like we were like all these scenario, doomsday scenarios we've mm-hmm. just been discussing, uh, yeah, Nigel Warrior probably still going to be sitting right there on the shelf collecting dust. Yeah, a game coming up, and you know, thinking about the injuries and where Dallas is. Dallas has a couple of very serious offensive line issue uh, injuries and and general lack of offensive line cohesion. But I think they're still going to try and run the football more than pass it, given the fact they don't have Prescott and they need you know they need to try and do what they do reasonably well, and that's that's have Zeke take you know tap the football or Pollard um, and and get some yards on the ground. I think the Ravens are going to still need to activate an extra defensive lineman. And I think they, they should be at a point right now where they realize how severe the consequences are when you lose a lineman in-game that you really should never go into a game with four. You should always have five down linemen. It's just it's too big a risk to take to be worn out on the ground by some of these teams who like to run the football. Absolutely. And we, we know how... Uh, you, and you mentioned this earlier, Justin Ellis is not a guy that can go out there and play every down, so they definitely need an extra guy in and they can continuously rotate out. And I'm also thinking, too, if Justin Ellis is in there, what's to stop Andy Dalton and the Cowboys offense from running hurry up and stopping the Ravens from substituting at all? So, I mean, the Ravens are in a really tough situation right now where where the, their defense is still really good, and we know – we know that how good they can be when they're fully healthy, but they're going to be taken advantage of by these bad offenses down the stretch. And these guys are uh, the, the opponents are going to definitely try some some trickery and and other uh, experimental things to try to ram the ball down the Ravens' throat. Yeah, I, I I think that's they'd have to look at that and say that's the easiest way. The Steelers had their way that was a little different. They obviously put four wide receivers on the field with a tight end, and then that forces the Ravens into a different defense that thins them out a little bit. They had success in each of these two games doing that, but uh, other than that, most other teams don't have that option. I don't think the Cowboys really have that option, honestly. So uh, I think we'll we will see some heavy personnel sets from the Cowboys to try to take advantage of the Ravens. I did want to make the note that Marlon Humphrey. Uh, certainly there's a lot of talk about him and you probably heard it Voss that, that he had post COVID concerns, maybe had not played as well in a couple games since he's been back. Yeah. I, and that's, he, he kind of disappeared or not disappeared rather went under the radar for a couple of weeks, but then we saw his return this, this past game or last night. And, uh, we saw he, he, dove for dove for a couple of incompletions or mm-hmm. to force a couple of incompletions rather and he punched the ball out a couple of times so and and that's that's the Marlon Humphrey we all know and love and I mean I know there's a he I think I believe he tied a certain defensive back for most fumbles forced in a or fumbles uh, forced I, in the season right yeah I'll go ahead yes so Marlon Humphrey became only the second cornerback in NFL history. Now, they've only been keeping records on forced fumbles since 1999. So this sure. isn't the entire 1920 to, to the present kind of NFL, but this is 1999 to the present. There have been 79 total players 
who've had six forced fumbles in a season. Humphrey is number 79. The list is dominated by pass rushers. So it's J.J. Watt has done it. T.J. Watt has done it. Uh, a whole bunch of great edge rushers have done it, some of them more than once. A whole bunch of average pass rushers have done it and are on that list as well. But right. uh, and Terrell Suggs is, has one such year as well. But anyway, it's mostly pass rushers. Only eight times has it been done in total by defensive backs, spanning only six players. Brian Dawkins has done it twice. And Peanut Tillman, who's the only other cornerback to do it, has done it twice. Uh, Dawkins had six twice. Tillman had ten. Ten forced fumbles in one season. It's, it's all, it is the all-time record for forced fumbles this season by any position, by the way. And, and it's something with five games to play that is probably unlikely Humphrey will get to, but it's certainly not impossible for him to move up into the top 15 or so all-time by getting to eight forced fumbles if he would get a couple more. Anyway, uh, a really special thing. And obviously this game, I think would have turned had either of those fumbles been recovered in bounds. I totally agree with you there. And, and I just, I wanted to say a quick, a quick hot take for a second. I know, I know everybody loves to, to say the best corner in Ravens history is probably Chris McAllister, mm-hmm. but I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say when Marlon Humphrey is all said and done, I think Marlon Humphrey is going to be that guy. I, I don't think you have to project too far forward for that to be true. McAllister did play very well, but he was very similar in a lot of ways to Humphrey, a guy who was penalized often, larger guy, uh, really did better on the boundary. But I'll tell you what, McAllister would have had a lot of trouble moving to the slot, and Humphrey has done it and still been a valuable player, even though I think he'd be more valuable playing on the outside. But I'm with you. I think he probably is the is the number one uh, corner in Ravens history. I also love Dwayne Starks in terms of what he did as a ball <laughs> hawk while he was here, but uh, those two are really the are the two I I talk about as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm sorry, I, I completely missed. I I lost my train of thought with your previous question. No, that's all right. So we we're talking about Humphrey's record. Congratulations to Marlon. Yeah. Let's let's talk about some silver linings from this game because you know it's a loss, and I I can't sugarcoat that in any way, but. You know, to see the team play and honestly to, to see some of the tweets even after the game from the players, you know, Tyus Bowser and others saying, you know, this is this is great. I, you know, we live and die with these guys and all the other things they say uh, afterwards. It's it seemed to be a very positive team feeling afterwards. I'm I'm a technical guy, of course. But I look at that as a pretty significant positive that they could come together and put together as a group a game this good. I thought Marlon Humphrey running up to a day or yay <laughs> and congratulating him right after the play was was just symptomatic of that. It was just it was a it was a you know wonderful indication of that underlying uh, togetherness on the team in this game. I think so too, and I think it's this this is starting to build the team camaraderie back up to what it should have been over the last few weeks. And I know against the game in the game, the game against Tennessee, Lamar Jackson went on the record saying that the tight, the Titans wanted it more. It seemed like they wanted it more than the Ravens. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think this game, although it was a loss seemed to, to kind of strengthen the bond between the players. uh, And they, they started to, come alive again and the game should not have been as close as it was mm-hmm. and the the ravens made sure to that and this kind of reminds me like that this is the first time in over two calendar years the ravens have lost three consecutive games yep so the last time they lost three consecutive games 
It was that Pittsburgh game where Joe Flacco was injured. They entered the bye, and then Lamar took over as the full-time starter. So, I mean, and then we know that incredible run they went on. They lost in the playoffs to the to the L.A. Chargers. Maybe they can, although they don't have a bye coming off of this off of this game right now, but maybe they could forge something going into this game against Dallas where they, they put something magical together for the for the last few games they have. Well, Lamar's coming back as the full-time starter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> again, again. So, yeah, you're so right. So we can, we can uh, say, and I hope that's true, by the way, because I believe it's maybe the day before the day of Dallas that he can be activated. And it may be that they decide they just really can't take that risk. And they have to they have to figure out somehow to get through that game. It won't be an easy one. It's This is people looking ahead to Cleveland. Big mistake. Because this team, we don't know who they are right now. We really don't know how healthy they are. We don't really know who they're going to be able to play. It's a very good indication that they can hang in a game with, with uh, uh, Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh also gave, gave them some drops. They gave them some key drops during this game that really kept it close. And, uh, and I think that this is a, uh, a big – it'll be a big challenge for them to beat Dallas. I totally agree. I mean, Dallas is no slash. Andy Dalton was the starting quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals in the Ravens' own division for years. And so he's no, he's no slouch. He's definitely a starter caliber, maybe not at this point in his career, but he, he knows exactly how the Ravens operate. He's played against John Harbaugh many a time. And so, I mean, they're, the pieces on that team are really good. I mean, Zeke Elliott is no slouch at running back. Mm-hmm. Michael Gallup, Mari Cooper – Good receiving core. Yeah, great receiving core. I mean, I, I I fail to see why why some fans are like, oh, this is a cupcake game. I, I think this this is a trap game. This is this is a game where where the the Cowboys defense with Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory, the the newly reinstated Randy Gregory, mm-hmm. is he could show up and completely demolish that snake bitten Ravens offensive line. Yeah, it's if if the Cowboys' offensive line were not similarly, if not worse, snake bitten, then I would be con- very concerned about that. I'm concerned about the game more of the Ravens being healthy. I think if the Ravens are the Ravens, they they crush the Cowboys. If if the if the Ravens aren't really recovered from COVID, meaning the the players maybe are able to come off the list, but they're not really ready to come off the list, and maybe they do anyway. Uh, we could see some bad things happen. And, and right. I, I just don't know where we are in that process. And I don't think we know enough in terms of COVID, in terms of its lingering impact for weeks after, that we really can make any kind of judgment. Certainly, I don't feel comfortable doing it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I mean, but this, this is also the same Cowboys team that fielded Garrett Gilbert at quarterback and still almost yes. beat the same, the same Pittsburgh Steelers that the Ravens almost, or stayed in the ring with last night. So I mean, it, not, nothing. It's 2020. Yeah, nothing. Nothing <laughs> is a given, and nothing's a given in the NFL anyway. But okay. it's in, in this year. It's it's absolutely wild. So nothing, absolutely nothing, would surprise me come Tuesday night. All right. I want to hit on a few other silver linings. We've hit on a couple of them. The two new cornerbacks in this game, Devontae Harris played very well. We saw him in special teams, but he also played well on defense. He had a pass defense that was a great club over the top move. I love to see that kind of physicality from a corner, uh, even when they get beat to come in and, and, and knock the football loose. That was just a, a very big play in the football game. Uh, Tremaine Williams looked great rushing off the slot and came in with a couple of quarterback hits in the game. He was the only guy that Martindale blitzed. I'll get this a little bit later, who's effective at all. So uh, that was nice. So both cornerbacks played well. I thought we could easily see that the defense was good with the players out there, 
and Bowser stepped up and had a big game, and Ngakwe played very well, I thought. Uh, you know, obviously got great play out of Humphrey and, and decent play out of Peters, good play out of Clark, really good play out of Clark. But the but the you can really see how the addition of Campbell, Williams, Judon, and McPhee would make an enormous difference in this team in terms of everything. <laughs> Setting the edge, pressuring the quarterback, disrupting the backfield, all of the things you need to do to, to play effective football. A hundred percent. And Tremont Williams, uh, you're, you're right. He was great blitzing from the slot. The, the one, the, of course, the one image that's going to stick in everybody's mind, though, is him being stiff-armed by Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, that, that, was not, that was not his finest moment, but uh, I, I forgive him for, for that. Juju Smith-Schuster is not a slouch at wide receiver. Uh, of course, uh, Devontae Harris, right? Yeah, Yeah, Devontae Harris. Thank you. Yeah, he... He, you're right. He and he played. He played very well. He like we mentioned before with the, with Chauncey Rivers and Aaron Crawford. He went out there and he did what was asked of him. Maybe even a little bit more. He he played, like the Energizer Bunny, and I, I, that's that's what you love seeing that from young guys who have something to prove, who are trying to make, this club, who are trying to. Live their dream, so. Seeing, seeing these guys go out there, and I mean, Ngakwe had a good game, like you mentioned, and I, I, I like I like what I saw from from the linebackers. Tyus Bowser, this is the second game in a row now with a oh yeah, and it was he had a huge game in lots of respects. We'll, we'll get to some individual player discussion a little later. Yeah. Let me finish the silver linings here because there's only a couple more. Pittsburgh was undefeated coming into this game, but I think we'd agree this team looks very vulnerable to the Ravens' defense at the minimum. Oh, the teams The teams should be lining up and smelling blood in the water now, the Pittsburgh's remaining opponents. I'm not saying it's going to be a walk in the park for any of these for any of these teams, but they should see that several practice squad players on the Baltimore Ravens team were able to make plays against the, the 11-0 Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I, I saw Colin Coward say today that this, this is one of the most hollow – 11 and 0 teams he's ever seen. He's correct. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's yeah. absolutely correct. And yeah. I, and I I don't I don't see any any false statements when when people say that. And I, I if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm worried right now because they, they didn't have Stephon to it. They didn't have Marquise Pouncey. Mm-hmm. They didn't have James Conner. We don't know how long those guys are going to be out. And even when they come back, are they going to be as effective as they were prior to going onto the COVID list? Well, we'd had the same concerns about our players. So I don't know that oh, they, yeah, we want to we want to we want to unravel that sweater. <laughs> but, oh yeah, no. The, the, the difference the difference is they're an eleven and zero team. The Ravens are six and five. Okay, well, fair enough. If I, both of them are going to be struggling like hell to win these last five ball games and make sure they either get the perfect record, the, the number one seeding, or or make the playoffs in the Ravens' case. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the, the Steelers. Steelers have that problem where. They're going to they they have the Chiefs to con- to contend with, the Bills are, are in the AFC East and they are absolutely decimating anybody they play. Mm-hmm. So the Steelers the Steelers are if you look in the rearview mirror these the objects in this mirror are closer than they appear. So it, w- it wouldn't surprise me to see the Pittsburgh Steelers lose two or three out of their last few games here and maybe the Chiefs overtake them for the number one seed in the AFC. You know, that would be very bad for the Ravens if the Steelers were to lose a couple of games. We we should be rooting for the Steelers to have something to play for in Week 17. If they don't, whether it's the number one seed or it would have to be seeding, honestly, or even a perfect record. But I think that's 
I think Tomlin might put less value on that, honestly. But if if they go into week 17 and they're not trying to play hard against the Browns, it could be very bad for the Ravens. The Ravens could be out of the playoffs if the Steelers lose a game to the Browns at that point. So everybody's counting that as a guaranteed win. Week 17 games, relying on, on help in a week 17 game is truly the last refuge of a scoundrel in terms of your, your NFL hopes. You, you don't want to be doing that. Not ever. You, you need to have your, your, your uh, uh, fate in your own hands at that point. And uh, it'd, be, it'd be very bad if the Ravens didn't and need the Steelers to win that game. And you know, when, when you say that, it, it harkens back to an image I have in my head of the Ravens taking on the Browns a, c- a few years ago or a couple years ago mm-hmm. and the Steelers watching on the, on the jumbo yeah. on the field. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it, it just makes me laugh every single time, but you're absolutely right. Like you, it, you, you hate to have to rely on any team to go out and be the David that beats Goliath in, in the scenario and uh, try to eat your way into the playoffs when you clearly don't deserve to be there. Now, I, of course, again, the NFL, anything can happen once you make the playoffs, but it's 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 one of those things that it, you're you're right. It just it just feels icky. To get a little tangential here, you're mentioning that last four play sequence in particular where the Ravens had four passes defensed on four straight plays, which was by the way five percent of their season total on those four on those four plays. But they had a, a pass defense on each of those four plays to 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 knock the Steelers out of the playoffs and end that drive. What was what's cool about that is I. I use sports often, put on sports video to go to sleep. So I'll go to sleep at odd hours and I, I need my eyes to be tired. And one of the things is if I watch that, it just puts me to sleep in like five minutes. And I can watch from the start of that drive and there, there's two long challenges on the play. And I usually don't even see Mosley's interception. I'm asleep by the end of it. So it's a, it, it puts me right to sleep. I love the thing. Lucky you, know? you because every time I see some Ravens, Ravens video when I'm at home, I immediately go thinking, oh, my God, I have to go to work. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get on. Entertaining game. The defense really was what made it an entertaining game. All the the single play, of course, by McSorley. But uh, I thought the defense, honestly, was the was the heart and soul of this being a great game for the Ravens. And and harken back to some bowler era play where they uh, they didn't have a good quarterback. Let's talk packages, though. So uh, we, we do this on the show every week. So we're going to go through this kind of quickly here. The jumbo package, they had only one snap with three defensive backs. Oddball situation where the Steelers came out in 22 personnel with a sixth offensive lineman. They just ran one play for three yards on a first and 10. Uh, it wasn't in goal line. It was just at the on their own side of the field, in fact, when they were trying to run out the clock. And, uh, you know, kind of an odd time, but you do occasionally see Jumbo at that time of the game when, uh, when teams are really uh, getting heavy to try and run the football. I'll move on a little bit. Base. Now, the Ravens had played 100, uh, sorry, 71 snaps of base defense the last two weeks, 34 times against New England, 37 times against Tennessee, both season highs consecutively. Um, they'd only played a hundred and no, no, I'm going to get the number right here. I think it was 67 prior to those two games. Now nah, I'm wrong about that. Anyway, a high percentage of their base snaps for the entire season have been in these last two games because their previous high was 20 in the opener. So anyway, they used only five snaps at base. I was a little surprised by that, but that's really Pittsburgh's choice because they didn't really put on the 12 and 13 personnel packages or 22 for that matter that the Ravens might've responded to with 
uh, with base. So they they uh, did it in goal-to-go situations. So they had it four times. They used it inside the 10-yard line. They used it once otherwise uh, on the other side of the field. But it was basically, basically, the base defense was not used very much in this in this game. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, anyway, obviously not trying to run the football. Uh, the thing that the Ravens did as kind of an alternate base defense when they're trying to do extra things to stop the run versus 11 personnel is to put, instead of the standard nickel on, to put the jumbo nickel on. Now, I'm going to describe this one more time because I know we've talked about it occasionally on the show, but the jumbo nickel, instead of having the normal two inside linebackers, two outside linebackers, and two defensive linemen, you instead heavy up and you keep your two outside linebackers, but you put on three defensive linemen and only one inside linebacker. And in either case, you have five defensive backs. So basically, that that for that alignment, that package is intended to be able to produce that slot corner who can cover the third wide receiver, but also give you more beef at the line of scrimmage to control gaps. And it means you have to trust two players specifically. You need to trust the inside linebacker to be able to scrape along the line of scrimmage and pursue laterally and choose gap well and not get caught up in the wash. And you also need to trust your strong safety to come up and run fit well. Uh, he has to be able to do that. Unfortunately, the Ravens got a good game out of Chuck Clark doing that uh, against the Steelers here. But they used uh, the jumbo nickel 17 times in this game and the standard nickel 33 times. That was a bulk. So so Pittsburgh had, what, 70, 69, 70 offensive plays that were real. They had one kneel, and 50 of them were of, of the nickel variety. Yeah, and uh, you, you're right. Chuck Clark had a, had a heck of a game in that, in that jumbo nickel, and that's, that's one thing I can talk about when it comes to these percentages because I never pay attention to these, these, uh, these percentages for these formations. But uh, the, 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 the way the Pittsburgh Steelers were playing, I mean, we, uh, we know they, they love to go into that spread against the Ravens. They love mm-hmm. to to just nickel and dime them to death. No, no pun intended there with the, uh, the formations, but uh, and it, it, it's, the Ravens had to do something about it and they, and they tried to, and they, and they succeeded to a degree. All right. Two other pass defenses that also are nickel, but they're only nickel in name because the Ravens don't really have a third safety, as we mentioned. So instead, these last few weeks, they've been playing Chris Board as this proxy safety. Uh, he's lined up just like a safety would in the in, in packages that would be otherwise named. But I've been calling it the rush nickel, where they have three outside linebackers on the field, uh, Board as the only uh, inside linebacker who's really more like a dime back. And they use that in third medium to long, so it's uh, it's quacking like a dime uh, in that respect too. But anyway, they played five snaps of that, and they only gave up, I want to say, seven yards on those plays. So it was very effective there, 1.4 yards per play. The the And they had four out of five where they denied the conversion, which is really the important statistic. In the race car nickel, uh, you've heard me talk about that before, but there's four outside linebackers on the field, and they used that for two snaps, and they were effective with that as well. But 
The second of those two snaps was the 16-yard play that put the game away late. So it was third and six. The Ravens really had another chance with two and a half, 240 to play thereabouts and got good pressure on the play. Roethlisberger put up a flotation device over the middle of the field that would be in, intercepted a high percentage of the time. And, you know, they made the point. Collinsworth made the point that, boy, that ball's got to be intercepted or, or would be intercepted a lot of the time. Jump ball. Absolutely. And it's the fact that it wasn't, well, it just, it still rubs me wrong. And we, we saw the... I think it was Tyus Bowser that was on coverage who wasn't able to recognize it quick enough. And then it was Chuck Clark who was coming in and he, he came in a little, a little too late there after the ball got in there. If Chuck Clark gets there with his arm just a little bit sooner, mm-hmm. he, he could, he could force an incompletion there, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where the Ravens were caught in an unfortunate personnel uh, matchup there and they, the Steelers made them pay for it. Yeah, they, they had the bracket that they that they should have been able to convert, but Bowser, honestly, is not quite a match for the speed of, of James Washington, and Clark got kind of bodied off the football, I thought. So I, you got to give some credit to Washington for being in the right place and being able to 100%. make something out of that catch. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's just not going to go your way, but that was the third and sixth. Boy, if they'd have stopped him there, I wouldn't have been confident that McSorley could drive the Ravens down the field, but it would have been really cool to have them have a chance. Absolutely. Who do is how many people were clamoring to see the former Penn State product out there on the field, yeah. and so I, and what he did, and I'm not saying what he did was spectacular by any means, throwing the ball 15 yards to to Hollywood Brown, but it definitely got everybody's blood flowing for the first time in that game. So that was that was that was a very cool thing to see. Well, I I don't know what the pass minimum is. It might be five passes because he's got six. And he's two for six, by the way, passing. Very unusual. But he, I think he, it's six minimum. He, he leads the entire NFL in passer rating right now. Yeah, I so, saw that. So the two for six, by the way, he almost zeroes out the completion percentage. But he, but he maxed out the interceptions, the touchdowns, and the yards per uh, attempt. So he's, uh, he's really uh, unusual. It's very unusual to do that. You know, usually it's the opposite, like Roethlisberger, where he has a high completion percentage, but a bunch of short throws that, that doesn't look quite as good. So uh, anyway, uh, interesting game there. Interesting little stat on McSorley. Dime defense, that's the last package. They had seven snaps of that. Um, They returned to this four-corner dime uh, that they played. The Steelers forced them into in the last game for a number of snaps. Didn't really have anything to do with down and distance. Normally, you think about the dime defense. It's the closer defense you bring in in third and medium to long when you want to get the other team off the field. It's a very high-leverage defense. In the case of these dime snaps, not all of them were. There were a couple that were on third down, but a lot were on first and second down as well, five of the seven. And what that meant is that the Ravens are just reacting to the personnel package that the Steelers are putting on the field. So they put in an 0-1 or a 10 personnel group, meaning they've got four wide receivers. And the Ravens said, okay, we're going to our four-corner dime. The Ravens' um, four corner, the top four corners much better in this game. And I think even after the potential loss of Jimmy Smith for Dallas— look better with Harris and Tremont Williams available potentially for next week to go with Humphrey and Peters, of course. All right. 
Let's move on here. So we're talking about the pass rush a little bit. Um, Roethlisberger had ample time and space on 20 of 51 dropbacks. That's 39%. That's uh, a, a stat we use to, to identify three-second pockets with the attempt, to, the uh, availability to step into his throw. Roethlisberger got rid of the ball this week very quickly. Average of 2.21 seconds per throw, which was by far the fastest in the NFL. Uh, so a lot of those were were the ball was out quickly. But others, I judged that the pocket, because the blocking was holding up, was going to hold up for three seconds. And uh, and he really had pretty damn good protection, I would say. Uh, the Ravens only had 15 pressure events on 51 dropbacks, which is low, but also kind of expected with the shorter times to throw. Uh, they didn't have a sack, obviously. They had five quarterback hits and 10 pressures in the game. All right. Um, one thing we noticed is Ben ran every pass out of the shotgun in this game. Didn't didn't go under center unless the Steelers were running the ball. And what that does is it totally takes away play action as an as an opportunity. All Ben was doing was he was using pump fakes instead of play action to draw defenders off. They yeah they they knew what they were going to do heading into the game and they executed it very well and it got them the win and. Uh, we we've seen we've seen the Steelers use this offense before. Ben and is the has the quickest release of any quarterback in the NFL this season, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And he he used that to his advantage, and the Steelers were able to to eventually essentially negate the Ravens' pass rush. That's exactly correct. And you know what else that does, and and it's maybe less important on the corners, but it can be hard on the corners because. Deep passes don't take that long to throw. And plus, hey, if your average is 2.21, you're allowed a few passes that are over 2.21 seconds, obviously. And when you have that situation occurring, Peters is a player in particular who plays off that pass rush very effectively to gamble. He'll drop off and undercut a route. He'll take other gambles to beat the quarterback or, or, or try and anticipate where he's going to be forced able going to be forced to throw the football in order to take advantage of that well he gets left on an island a lot when the the, the pass rush does not get home and that can be a fear also when the the quarterback just has the ability to get the ball off and deep with some accuracy uh there now fortunately Roethlisberger is not a very accurate deep ball throw any, anymore he certainly was when he was younger uh but but that is a problem even for a cornerback like Peters I agree, and 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 Peters, Peters, had, he came out yesterday looking juiced. He looked, he looked like he he wanted all the smoke, and he he got it for the most part. He he, there was a play in the first quarter where where Roethlisberger delivered a perfect pass to I want to say it was Chase Claypool, and Marcus Peters made it over fast enough to force it incomplete, and mm-hmm. that's how I knew that that Marcus Peters was going to have a good day. Uh, playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, another big pass defense on third down. And he and he also, they've been using him the last couple of weeks just because they don't really have an alternative to do some run blitzing off the edge. Just occasionally they'll just, they'll just you know, guess run and get Marcus Peters in the backfield with a, with a swap of coverages. That's been quite effective. Peters has blown up a couple of plays. And one of the things I, I, I won't bash PFF for this too much, but PFF weighs very heavily on defensive players who miss tackles. There's missed tackles and there's missed tackles. If you completely whiff on the guy and you don't slow him down in any way, that's a missed tackle that really cost your team. If you get in the backfield and you miss a tackle, but you turn the guy 90 degrees and now he's running parallel to the line of scrimmage, as we saw from, from Peters in this game, that missed tackle has a lot of value. 
And so it's it's it it really blew up that run play, even though he missed the tackle. And I'm guessing that that he would probably get graded down on that play. But in truth, that that was a very positive play he made, despite the fact he missed the tackle. All right. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? They rush five plus on 16 of 51. That's 31%. That's well below their season average of 44%. Nice job by Martindale dialing back the pass rush, not, you know, sending numbers, but instead spreading the field, which was effective, making quick zero yak tackles or low yak tackles on a lot of the passes that were completed. Absolutely. And that's not something we see very frequently from, from Wink. And that's, Wink loves to go in, with with the game plan and he he knows what he wants to do mm-hmm. and this time i felt like i felt like wink was able to or he he took more of a i don't want to say a back seat to this but he he was more reactive mm-hmm. and so when he saw something he reacted to it rather than than trying to anticipate what the steelers were going to do and i feel like for this game i'm not sure if if it'll work more in the future, but for this game, I thought it worked pretty well for the Ravens. Well, the Ravens are going to face five quarterbacks the rest of the season, all who have a variety of difficulty with pressure. And they're going to face some lines which are not whole. That's going to be true in any team in December, but it's especially true of some of these bad teams they're going to be facing in December, the Cowboys coming up, that they ought to have their way with some some ability to generate pressure by scheme, which is Martindale specialty. And I think that that's going to give them an opportunity down the stretch to do some really positive things and probably to have some good back-end results come out of that, whether it's Peters or Humphrey getting opportunities for pick, whether it's you know Clark or Elliott making some plays, whatever it might be, I think there are going to be some opportunities created defensively by pressure. I think so too. And then obviously the Ravens aren't going to play any quarterbacks that have such a quick release time anymore. So uh, it should be easier on the on those defensive backs with with guys that are there right now, and of course you might have some guys returning a little bit later on in the season to get some more pressure on it. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the defensive backs feast a little bit more. Looking forward to it. Anyway, deception. I'll go just go over briefly. They only had had they had seventeen blitzes in the game, two from slot corner, which both went for quarterback hits. Okay, which is. That you can't argue with that both percentage. Tremont Williams, right? Both, both Tremont Williams, that's right. And then they had 15 inside linebacker blitzes in this game. They did not get one pressure on, on any of those, meaning that player did not get a pressure on any of them. Chris Board, as an asterisk here, did set up the first QH by Tyus Bowser. So he, Tyus Bowser dropped back. Board was the first to blitz in. It was effectively sort of a cross blitz internally. Uh, Board came into the backfield, got picked up by the running back, and that gave Bowser, Bowser a free run. Very well-designed blitz. Board played an important role in it, so I don't want to minimize that. I want to make sure we, 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 we cover it. But 15 inside linebacker blitzes with zero pressures is terrible. I mean, those are the guys who are, who are getting that you know A-gap pressure a lot of the time that are getting the best opportunity to get in the face of the quarterback. And I'm very particular about the cone getting impeded when I charge a pressure. So I, I would tend to give more to the defense in those situations. Anyway, uh, they really did not get close in this game. It was a lot of Patrick Queen. He had seven of the inside linebacker blitzes in this game, uh, some of Board and some of Fort as well. And if I'm not mistaken, Patrick Queen has been the most efficient when it comes to getting getting home on those for the for, in terms of Ravens inside linebackers yes. for for inside blitzes, so uh, the fact that he wasn't able to get there is a testament to what the Steelers were able to do in clogging up those gaps in the middle there and not allowing him to get to Ben. 
And I mean, it's the Ravens are one of those teams that I feel like send more guys up the middle on a blitz. It's just, I feel like they do it the most. It's, it's wild. Yeah. That's yeah, uh, it's, it was, it was unfortunate. They've, they've been having a lot of success with stunts as well in recent weeks, four stunts in this game. Uh, they did, you know, limited use. Uh, they, they got, uh, I forget if they got one pressure or no pressure on that, but that's obviously a very limited use of stunts. Uh, probably in reaction to wanting to keep the uh, short passing game in order, but also reaction that stunts take time. And if the quarterback's not giving you time, you, know, you just not, they're not a whole lot of need to stunt. So if you're going to dive a guy underneath and that's going to slow up the thing, but the pass is going to be out in 2.3 seconds, you're not going to get a lot of pressure. You're not going to get stunt pressure very often effectively under those circumstances. 10 drops of two plus man, that's the simulated pressures we always talk about on this show. Those resulted in two quarterback hits and three other pressures. Not bad. It certainly was was one of the ways the quarterback they did get to the quarterback in this game successfully. Uh, it was actually a little surprising that that would be effective against the Steelers, who generally know what they're doing from an offensive line perspective, but they had a new center in the game. And that might have had something to do with it, is that it's harder for him to be knowing what his assignment is or perhaps to communicate that um, without Pouncey in the game. All right. Uh, I thought Ngakwe had a good pass rush game. I thought I, I scored him for four pressures. Twice he hit the quarterback, once with his own arm and the shoulder that was ruled a quarterback hit. It shouldn't have been because he didn't knock him down. Uh, another time where he pushed the left tackle into the quarterback and jostled him uh, that disrupted a pass. Uh, had two other pressures. I thought he, what he did to open up the B-gap on that side was effective. And that also led to one of the quarterback hits, if not both, by Tremont Williams. I have to go back and look at the other one to see if it was really an open B-gap. But I believe Tremont Williams, uh, he definitely came once through the B-gap. He might have come through the B-gap both times because Ngakwe fans that tackle out so far. It's the the f- most obvious place I'd tell somebody to look about Ngakwe's impact on the pass rush is how much he fans that guy out and what opportunity that creates for others. That play by Tremont Williams, it would be the the highlight I'd want to show people to, to indicate that. All right. So Bowser, obviously a big game as a pass rusher too. We can talk about him a little bit later, but let's talk about individual players at this point. And Vas, you're the guest. Bring up a player who, you know, you saw some things you liked and tell us what you liked about his game. And, you know, we'll kind of have go once each on this and we'll get a chance to respond to the other person's player. So I liked what I saw from Hollywood Brown this game. And I know that's, it's, it seems, it seems like a, oh, D, okay, wait, I, we can cut the, we no, can no, cut it's, that it's out, okay. Right? Just it's, you want to, you're a defensive player we're on the defensive show. That's all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I just, I completely brain farted there for a second. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I want to talk about Tyus Bowser, and I know we talked about Tyus Bowser a lot already in the show. And I mean, like I said, second consecutive game with an interception. He's he's coming into his own, and I ha- and he he has 19 tackles already combined this season, which is already almost to his total of his uh, career high of 24, which he accumulated last season. And I mean, he of course he doesn't have as many sacks as he did last season. He had five last season. He has two this season. But Tyus Bowser is fine. Is quickly finding a way to be a, a niche player in the, in, on, in the Ravens defense. And he, he's got the unique skill set that the Ravens look for. He can rush the passer when needed, but then he's also got the, the skill set to drop into coverage. Now he's not going to drop into coverage on every play. He's not built for that, 
but he has that ability and he flashed that ability in the last two games and he's he's impressed me he's he's one of those guys that it is fighting for for a contract he's trying to show he's a free agent after the season that's right so he's he's going to he's either trying to impress the ravens enough for them to for them to keep him under contract before he hits free agency or he's gonna try he's trying to impress his next suitor yeah, I think the, the Ravens really need to think about whether this is the right time to sign to extend Bowser right now. Uh, this offseason, there won't be a lot of teams that have money to spend, but my concern is he would just fit so perfectly in New England in terms of what they do. Uh, you mentioned the coverage thing. I mean, it's very unusual this occurs, but Tyus Bowser is the Ravens' best coverage linebacker. He's better than any of the inside linebackers. Obviously, we're very familiar with Queen's problems. Ford is a little older and a little slower. He, at least he's, he has the wisdom to understand passing lanes and zone defense responsibilities at a high level. Uh, Board has some speed, but also messes up his own coverage uh, responsibilities. Has no idea what's going on behind him. Tyus Bowser has really a lot of these components. He has the speed. He has some understanding of what's going on behind him in coverage. He reads the quarterback quite well, as we as we saw in the interceptions each of the last two weeks. I just it's very unusual for that to be true. And then what he's what he's done in terms of rushing the passer when he's had to, he's been effective. I mean, three quarterback hits in this game. Uh, it's not all about getting sacks. It's about you know getting there quickly with pressure and forcing the quarterback to make a mistake. Absolutely, and I mean he's. I'm not surprised that he's the Ravens' best coverage linebacker. And it's he the instincts I see from him when he's out there. He 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 know he knows how to swivel his head. He knows how to to stay where he's supposed to be, and then he has enough instinct to to know when and where the ball is going to be, and that's why he's 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 come alive in pass coverage the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm gonna pick a player now. I think we talked a little bit about Ngakwe. Uh We talked about some of the young guys. I'm I thought. Derek Wolf had a fantastic game, and they've been leaning on him like nobody's business to play a unbelievable, ungodly amount of snaps for a defensive lineman. But he's hanging in there every week and getting it done. And this week, 56 snaps that were competitive. There'd be a higher total, including penalties uh, on that. But 56 snaps for a defensive lineman, you can't ask your guys to do that week after week. They just won't hold up through a full season. In fact, they'll tire during an individual game doing that much but wolf really was was the one rock the ravens had to lean on in this game ellis has been leaned on a little bit too heavily frankly the last couple of weeks he still played 47 snaps but but wolf is still leading the team in defensive line snaps but now by a wide margin and uh and it really has become the iron man of this line and a lot of the run defense a lot of what you see there really has to be attributed to him and his good ability to control gaps absolutely he Wolf is one of those guys, and I, I elicited a few eye rolls because of this this joke I made yesterday when watching uh, Derek Wolf play. But it was uh, uh, Alexa play "Hungry Like Hungry Like the Wolf" by uh, <laughs> Duran Duran, and uh, of course that that got no applause whatsoever. But um, no, he what he what he's able to do, and we didn't see a lot from him earlier in the season. A lot of the, uh, early in the season, he he was playing behind a lot of these guys that we saw like Calais Campbell he maybe didn't shine as brightly as the as Calais Campbell did but what what he's done in the trenches the last several games is commendable Mm -hmm. and he has really taken on 
the play like a Raven mentality, which we we harp on so much when we when we have these discussions. And he's he's and he said it when in this past off season he wanted the Ravens to draft. He wanted to be a part of the Ravens organization for a really long time now. Yeah, it's a great and, place for him. It really fits him yeah. in terms of a rotational group. I think. I, I want to go through that briefly to just give you the percentages of snaps for the season because he really stands out. Washington has played twenty percent of the sne- season snaps for the Ravens. Matabike, twenty-two percent. He wasn't even active, you know, right away. So that's pretty good for Matabike to come up to that level. Uh, Williams has played thirty percent of the snaps. Obviously, he's missed some team time. Ellis now leads him with thirty-seven percent of the snaps played. Campbell, 41% of the snaps played. Campbell been an Iron Man the last five years. has played between 77 and 80% of snaps. So he, I, I thought he would have a reduced total this year, but obviously he didn't anticipate the injury, and that's reduced it further. But he was probably on pace to be around 58 to 60% even before the injury. So uh, I think that's a, a, a responsible workload reduction for Campbell. But Derek Wolf, 55% of snaps, leads the team by a wide margin on the defensive line. And 55% of snaps in today's NFL is a very high percentage for a defensive lineman to be playing. And we've seen, we've seen that percentage take its toll. And he's, he's been slow to get up several times over the past few weeks. And mm-hmm. luckily, it's, it's not been anything too serious where he's able to go back in after a series or two. And, I mean, he... he like he's just a hard-nosed guy that suits the defense really well, and the Ravens couldn't ask for a, a better guy to to lead that lead the defensive front against their opponents for the rest of the season. Yeah, I can't believe on the off season. One of the things I looked at was Wolf's Wolf has I had the good arm length to dictate first contact, so a lot of that's important. But he's a little bit smallish to be a three or five tech, which is the role he's normally taking when he's on the field. If there's two defensive linemen on the field, he'll most often play a three tech opposite the nose tackle on the opposite one tech, if that makes sense. You kind of spread your guys four wide in tech amount. So think of it as being minus one as the nose tackle and then going out to three on the other side. Uh, it's, It's a position where... He's going to face a guard, and you would think that a guard is going to be a larger player, might outweigh him by 25 pounds, but he's really held his own very effectively on the inside and, and been able to maintain gaps, and, and a lot of the other players around him haven't been able to do that. Uh, he's been able to often slip blocks and make penetration and make plays as opposed to just letting the play come to him at the line of scrimmage or three yards beyond it. Yeah, he, he definitely is smallish, but he uses that size to his advantage to to get past those those bigger gentlemen up opposite him and that's that's why he was so good in Denver and it's not not just because he had Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware and guys like that around him but because he was able to develop his own game enough where he was unique enough to to do his own thing all right you have another player you want to talk about no, I think we covered them all. I got, I got one more. I want to make sure we talk about Chuck Clark in this game. Oh yeah, still, still has not missed a snap this season, but he's all over our defensive notes, all over it from start to finish. He's uh, all kinds of tackles for low yak amounts in particular. So uh, he, he, a lot of them were were at or behind the line of scrimmage where he came up and made a tackle. Uh, very positive uh, play in that regard. Great game of run fitting. Uh, for him in this one. I thought he did a lot of that well. It's unfortunate that he happened to be there under the magnifying glass on the big play to Washington that really sealed the game for the Steelers. But 
Uh, it doesn't darken what was an outstanding game. And still, with the green dot, he's never missed a snap this season. At least that's the way I have it scored. I hope I haven't missed one here. But uh, they've had him on uh, on the whole year. Yeah, Chuck Clark is is he he made he was uh, his name was called a little more last year, and, but this year he's he's taken that that gen- field general role. Mm-hmm. And he's telling everybody where they need to be. And he's just ridiculously good at that. And he, he, he knows where to be. He's never going to let you down. He will help in the, in run defense. He will excel in pass defense. He, there's literally not a thing that Chuck Clark, you can say Chuck Clark is, is like bad at. What Chuck the- Clark is, is, is that guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I I certainly love him. I love the fact that they identified him correctly as the guy to give the green dot to, even though I think they took maybe too long to do it. But when they when they got it done, finally, he's he's the guy, and he's clearly the guy. He's never given it up. As long as he's a Raven, he'll be that guy. Uh, I don't think Patrick Queen can ever take it from him. I just it, it, even five years in the league, I wouldn't expect him to have it because Clark is an every down safety, and and as yeah. long as he's still here, I think he'll have it. Um, one of the things we look at last year is the number of blown coverages on the back end. Now, we've had very few of those this year. There have been some gambles by Peters where a coverage is quote-unquote blown, but it's Peters make a gamble. It's a, it's a I'm willing to, to, to assess this risk and take it, as opposed to, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And Clark is, is a big hand in that. And where we've seen the blown coverages occur is on the front end, that inside linebacker where Patrick Queen doesn't know how to keep a zone assignment. Or, you know, Board doesn't necessarily know exactly how to move around or how to get depth properly, or, or Harrison also, uh, to, to get depth properly to, to uh, defend a play behind him. Uh, but it's not on the back end. Uh, you know, the back end leakages have really been stopped, except for the ones that are occurring by gamble. Exactly. And I mean, I, I think about this all the time and people, people are always like, well, why does Peters always get burnt? And I'm like, he's not getting burnt. He's, he's, he's like you said, assessing things Mm -hmm. and trying to make the correct read and trying to give the Ravens defense the opportunity to force a turnover. And we saw that in, in, in the Houston game when, when he had that ridiculous interception from the, uh, that he got off with Deshaun Watson and then uh, we, I saw Joe Hayden of the Steelers do something similar yesterday yeah. when, when, with that pick six. And I mean, that was a very, it was very Marcus Peters like play. And, uh, and you're right. Chuck Clark has done a great job solidifying that back end. And it's, it's, it really, it really helps when you have a guy that can seal that off when you have a guy that gambles as much mm-hmm. as Marcus Peters. That's a good Peters. point. That's a good point. They're very complimentary players in that respect is they, they have to know. And and maybe, you know, Clark probably knows that pre-snap or or at least as the play's developing, he may be able to sense whether Peters is going to be able to take a gamble and then get to the right spot to recover if, if the gamble goes awry. We've made the point on this show a lot that Peters himself does not need to be successful with a high percentage of those gambles to make them very worthwhile. I did a little bit of analysis on one last year when he undercut a pass to Erickson of Cincinnati for a pick six, but I thought his his required break-even percentage, to be correct, was only about 20%. If he'd been t- right 20% of the time and the other, the other 80% of the time he gives up a pass that he's either a touchdown or gets him very close, it would have still been the right call. 
And he, of course, he did take the, that that pick six to the house in that particular case. And uh, it's easier to look at it when you won the gamble and say, "Well, that was a really good bet." But most of them, even when he gets beat by the Chiefs a couple times, that happened. I still thought they were good gambles. I'm okay with him taking that. I think he's a very good judge of that risk. I 100% agree, and I think I think the Ravens are the Ravens were never super aggressive before having Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters, I think, gave them that edge and having him paired with Marlon Humphrey on the opposite side and then having Chuck Clark in the back there just makes the Ravens' defense and secondary so much more dangerous and versatile. I'll give you one other name in terms of when they gambled a lot, but it was a good thing, Ed Reed. And Ed Reed, people in Baltimore got on Ed Reed for being a gambler. I think Mike Preston would never drop that bone for years. I mean... All I can say is it does not have to be right a high percentage of the time. And Ed Reed meets any standard of being right probably <laughs> twice as often or three times as often as he needed to be. So it's uh, it, it's fairly silly, I think, to to look at Ed Reed and say he was a you can say he was a gambler. That's true. But a yeah. bad gambler. Uh uh-uh. He's he's the card no. counter every casino is afraid of. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's 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 it's. <laughs> that's one thing I said last year when, when we saw Peter's first pick six with, with the Ravens against the, the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. And I'm like, I haven't seen a Ravens defensive back jump in front of undercut a route like that since Ed Reed mm-hmm. was in town. So uh, it, it, the, again, the Ravens are all the better for having that sort of edge to the defense. All right. All right. Wait, it's been fun conversing with you here. Let's talk a little mailbag, Josh. All right. Just a little bit today. A lot of focus on the offense. So we'll have a fun mailbag tomorrow Uh, as well so remember you can get your questions in on twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag all right first up part of the cue of this losing the past few losing games is the ravens problems with tackling it seemed to be fixed yesterday do you attribute that to anything or just were they wrapping players up better or did it just happen to look better last night yeah, it definitely looked right. better. If there weren't zero missed tackles in this game. There were a few, and, and it's not like they were insignificant ones. But the big one that, you know, a big one that I mentioned is Marcus Peters in the backfield. There's missed tackles and there's missed tackles. You don't want to miss tackles in the secondary. Those usually cost you a bunch of yards. When you miss a tackle in the backfield, but you spin the guy 90 degrees, or you stop him or you get him off his track or any number of things. Uh, you generally have a have a very positive result. So uh, I think there were there are fewer in the secondary missed tackles in this game. Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, missed tackles were were definitely still they still existed in yesterday's game. They weren't as glaring as they had been in the past, but uh, they I think the Ravens played very fundamentally sound football yesterday, mm-hmm. and. I think I think that that in itself translates to higher percentage tackles and making the most out of what's in front of you. All right, we saw a lot of people make their NFL debut yesterday or Ravens debut. Who's the guy that now the Ravens have to find some way to keep him around? All right, well to me it's fairly obvious that they need to figure out how to get Aaron Crawford on the roster now and they have room for him as a practice squad call up they still got two available elevations for him but i think he's the player they're most likely to need for the rest of the season Devonte harris for me it's it's yeah, I, I need to see I, he's on yeah. the roster for for starters so they've yeah they've, yeah no i'm saying i, I want i want to see more is gotcha. what i'm saying like he's he's the, he's that guy that i i 
he the way he played yesterday, I think if he can string more games like that together, I think I, he's going to become a fixture in the secondary. Yeah, with Jimmy Smith going down, the opportunity's there. So he's a boundary corner, but but is I think if anyone is kind of like in between, it would probably be him in terms of his ability to play slot. They have uh, Pierre Desir also sitting there on the on the on the practice squad. So they have other right. options, but I, but I think Devontae Harris played well enough, and Tron Williams that they've got their their top four cornerbacks lined up. If Jimmy Smith can't go against Dallas or or for any of the remaining games for that matter. All right. Well, that takes care of the mailbag for today. I did look up that Wednesday game in 2012 was because uh, President Obama. Obama had a speech. So that got pushed. Um, all right. Vass, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? People can go on over and follow you. Folks can find me on Twitter at Basilios, W-B-A-L. That's V-A-S-I-L-I-O-S, W-B-A-L. And yeah, I know it's a mouthful, but I promise it'll be worth it when you get there. I have a lot of stats, a lot of little, little uh, stuff, a little stuff up there. It'll, it'll, it'll be, it'll be good. I promise. But um, I also host the Extra Point Show, which Josh and Ken mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, I have great guests there. I'm in the middle of trying to get uh, former Calvert Hall product and current Green Bay Packer uh, Adrian Amos to join the podcast. Oh, that's so a good one. It's uh, I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but if I get it, I promise everybody will be the first to know. All right, outstanding. It's it's always a pleasure to talk football with you, Voss. I've, we've we've talked to camp before, but I really appreciate uh, having you on the show and taking the time. And we always take a little longer with people where we're just having a good, fun discussion about football. And I appreciate you doing that that me today. Thank you. I'm, I had a blast too, and I hope you guys have me again. All right, and a new situation room came out on uh, Thursday morning, immediately after the game. So that's over at filmstudybaltimore.com. Ken, what else is going on over there and this busy uh, short week? Yeah, busy short week. So we got the defensive articles out there right now with a lot more detail on what's going on. So if you want to really dive down into the pass rush or other things about the packages, it's all out there. Uh, we got the offensive line article coming out. Not a good game for the offensive line. We just took a look at it before the show tonight, went all the way through. Uh, obviously, a lot of difficulty there for the offensive line in this game, so you'll, you'll be able to see the grades coming out on that. That'll probably come out either, either I, I would normally say Wednesday or Thursday, but that's for a Sunday game. This is a Wednesday game. My clock's all screwed up, so it'll be either Saturday or Sunday that will come out. Uh, and then we have the, the offense podcast is tomorrow night with Gabe, Gabe Ferguson, who's on the Situation Room. And then we have over the weekend on Saturday with, with we'll be recording with Ian Wharton, the Dallas Know Your Foe episode. Right. So this is a weird week. So pay attention over the weekend. Normally, <laughs> we don't have stuff come out on the weekend. We do this weekend because we got to get ready for another game on Tuesday. It's weird Tuesday football. As Wednesday football is the all-time weirdest, but Tuesday football, it's still too weird for words. I mean, it's. It, 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 I I kind of love it having a having a game on Tuesdays, but then I kind of don't having a six-day work week cycle that the Ravens seem to be getting themselves into. Well, they're they're getting you ready for those days of no sleep. Three forty start. Then I think <laughs> it's a, isn't it an early start on Tuesday, and then you get back to the Monday night football. No, Tuesday, I believe it's it's eight, eight o'clock. o'clock. 
Yeah. Oh, is it eight o'clock? All right. So it's eight o'clock and then probably eight. Yeah. They didn't have a Christmas tree celebration to go up against that they didn't want to move. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> when do we do the podcast breaking down the Christmas tree? By then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we had to move around here at WBAL. We had to move around this special. It was supposed to be on Thanksgiving. It moved to Sunday. It moved to, to Tuesday. It moved to Wednesday. So we finally got it done. But it's a pregame Raven schedule. Wild. A pregame Raven schedule. Yeah, we 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 had pre we had a pregame show yesterday. It started a half hour before. We're also going to do one for this upcoming game against the Dallas Cowboys. It's going to start on WBAL about a half hour before the game. Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed that. I watched a little bit of it with Mills and Gilbert were on this last this last yeah. week, right? And and Keith Mills had some good points about Robert Griffin getting rid of the ball very quickly and not wanting Robert Griffin to run the ball. I thought that was interesting Interesting to hear that. And Gilbert always is a good uh, exchanger with his guests there on, on oh, that yeah. show. Yeah. They have great chemistry and they're really good friends, so it makes for great TV. Yeah. All right. Well, thank, thanks again for, for joining us, Foss, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret 
and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.